All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Saber Sims DFS Office Hours. It is August 19th of 2022. It is Friday here, uh, and it is with great sadness that I say uh, my winning streak of the 222 beanball on FanDuel came to an end yesterday. Uh, I did not take first place in that contest. Uh, I think I was the favorite. I was the likely favorite to win that contest. I've uh, been running it very hot all week, uh, but it did not come out to fruition there. I was on the right track, actually. Um, I was pretty high on the Blue Jays. Uh, again, similar situation to basically like the entire week here where just a good team with a strong lineup in a good park uh, that on a five-game slate, almost nobody really wanted to play just because of the, the, the pitching matchup. Um, I had quite a bit of them. I was under on the Padres naturally in 25 lineups. You got to, I mean, over on the Blue Jays, they're expensive. The Padres are expensive, right? It kind of kind of naturally pushed me down on the Padres. Um, I, what I did not have is enough Pirates by, by even close to enough Pirates. Um, I think that was another team that I was under the field on. So just didn't have the right combinations there. So uh, the, the winning streak comes to an end there. Uh, but alas... Um, that uh, that's how it goes, right? So we have a, a fun slate in front of us here for tonight. We have a 14 game slate uh, with a very, very underpriced Giants at Coors, uh, especially on DraftKings, six and a half run total. Uh, and if you guys haven't seen them already, check out these prices. It is uh, the talk of the town here on DFS Twitter uh, today and, and a bit in our Slack community as well. Um, but we have uh, batting third uh, in Coors, with a six and a half run total is Brandon Belt at a uh, twenty eight hundred salary here. Um, only only player above four or at four is Estrada, who is who is literally at four. No one over five. I mean, uh, the Rockies even right. Who also the other side of the Coors Field game clearly priced up. 4,100 Connor Joe, 5,000 CJ Cron, 5,100 Brendan Rogers. Uh, other good teams with good totals here tonight. The Cardinals, um, a, a value option there in Dylan Carlson at 3,800, but O'Neill at 46, Paul Goldschmidt at 48, 558, Arenado 54, right? Uh, interesting, interesting pricing decisions here to say the least by DraftKings in particular tonight. I do think they're a little bit more in line with the other elite teams in terms of pricing over on Vandal. So uh, should be an interesting slate to see how everything kind of comes together there. You can see um, one, two, four. What is that? Four, five, six, seven, eight. One, one, two, four, and eight highest projected hitters on the slate right now all belong to the Giants. So uh, interesting slate here, at least as it relates to the chalk. Um, for what it is worth, I think at the moment, we are probably under projecting the ownership projections for the Giants here quite a bit. I have seen them as high as 35, 40% owned here uh, on other sites projected here today. So we will see how it all, it all shakes out there. But anyway, in the meantime, uh, first of all, if you have stumbled upon our uh, office hour stream here for the first time, welcome. My name is Jordan. I am the head coach here at SaberSim, and on this show, I answer questions from the SaberSim community about how to use our tools to build better DFS lineup. So if you have questions for me uh, and you're watching live, fire away in YouTube chat or the Office Hours channel in Slack. And if you catch the recording of this show or the podcast version of the show and you have a question you would like to ask me, you can email us, support at sabersim.com, and I will tackle those questions here live on the stream. So we have a few questions in front of us here for today. We'll start tackling these here 
in just a moment. A couple questions here um, about how ownership tends to condense um, as contests get smaller. We will probably start there. Uh, a question about um, betting with SaberSim. Um, a couple question, a question as well about golf showdown. But that actually, and then one other question about correlations in NFL. So we have a few things on our plate here for the start of the stream here today. But all things considered, uh, not the busiest. Uh, queue of questions in front of us. So if you have questions for me, fire away at me here. Um, I'll answer questions as best I can in chronological order. But I actually do want to start here uh, with this question from Nipsey. And I think this is just a good place to start. Uh, so we will start with this. It's it's definitely relevant here for tonight. Hey, Jordan, just to follow up on the discussion from yesterday regarding finding the inefficiencies of ownership, do you think this will be further magnified in contests such as single entry, three max and smaller entry contests? And what is the best plan of attack? Yes, it certainly will. Uh, it is it is magnified at least first and foremost um, here in that the ownership itself, right? The ownership projections uh, or, or not actually, I shouldn't say the projections, the actual ownerships, right? The, the players that are at the, as they are actually owned, uh, it, the chalk will be higher owned in the smaller field stuff than in larger field contests. Um, that's for a few reasons. I think uh, a big reason why is that for even amongst players that are kind of generally sharp, um, they will take less risks the smaller the contest is uh, and the the smaller the entry fee is. And I think some of that makes sense. I do think that that like is somewhat uh, logical um, that our sliders actually back that up as well, right? Like you can see, right? It, I mean, it's literally this effect that you are seeing here, right? 150 here versus small field single entry. See how the ownership fade slider changes, right? Like that is that effect that causes people to play a little bit safer, uh, a little chalkier in these smaller field contests. There's also uh, a really big component here, especially in sports like NFL um, and uh, and even like basketball to a, to some extent, um, where you, and, and actually baseball too, but uh, where you have players just straight up playing cash lineups in these GPPs, right? And I think that is just just straight up wrong. I think that's just a really bad idea. Uh, but you have a lot of people doing that for for mostly a fear of missing out if that lineup did have a really high score. Um, and that brings up the ownerships on some of these these big, uh, very chalky players. So let's let's actually just experiment with this. Let's kind of see. We'll do what we'll do here is we'll build. Um, we don't need five hundred, but maybe. How does 200 sound? We'll build 200 lineups for a single entry contest, uh, say 5,000 entrants or something like that, and kind of see what these lineups look like. Um, in terms of my plan of attack, so there is, there's kind of a difference between my practical answer to this and my theoretical answer. Um, the reason why is because on the practical side, ultimately for me, I'm not too overly concerned about what lineup is going into what contest. I've mentioned here before on stream, since I'm playing a contest portfolio of a wide variety of different contests, typically I will have a build. We saw them the last couple of days. I will have a build of 350 lineups uh, that I'm entering into all of my different contests. And I'm generally actually pretty unopinionated uh, about what lineup goes into what contest. I think there's an argument to be made there that maybe I should spend a little bit more time looking into that, but at the moment I'm not. On the theoretical level, if I were playing just like one single entry contest or was very opinionated about what lineup went into maybe maybe one one night because I want a ticket or something like that, I have I have a high dollar single entry contest that I'm playing and I don't really want to just let one random lineup fall into that contest, right? Then what would I do? So 
Here is basically kind of the way I look at it. So what I will do is I will typically run this build and I will actually typically use a much larger pool. And what I'm most interested in doing here is kind of stress testing the build. So the build is giving you viable lineups, right? The build is saying these lineups are viable. And I will kind of stress test the build along with using that pool column uh, and figure out what, like, what can I do here that differentiates me enough to feel like I've got a little bit of an edge on the slate. And this pool column actually makes this pretty easy because you can kind of immediately see it. So first thing we might go look at is pitchers, right? And if we look, I mean, just kind of a quick glance at this here, there are other pitchers that show up in this pool, but it's a fairly clear message sent by Sabersim, I think, saying that the most, the best overall com combination of pitchers here for a single entry contest on tonight's slate is, is Snell and McClanahan. So maybe that's not really, even though these numbers are likely to be higher in a single entry, right? The chalkiest pitchers are going to get chalkier. I don't really know if I like what, I don't know if that's the way that I'm going to figure out an edge here of, of, of what I want to, to do now. Now maybe we can try it and we can experiment with like, Hey, what happens if we fade like one or both of these guys? Um, but I, I feel pretty comfortable there. Let's go look at the stacks here, right? Um, the stacks here, I think that it tells a little bit of a different story. Obviously, the Giants look good here as a stack, but uh, there are a lot of other stacks that do seem to like have quite a bit of equity here, right? We're seeing quite a bit of Cardinals, uh, Angels, Boston. There is going to be so much ownership that gets soaked onto the Giants here that I think one very creative way to build to get just enough different for a single entry tonight would be to play a different team as your primary stack. We can even take this one step further and just see on the five stacks, right? What are the different five stack options here? Uh, and we can look and see, you know, um, there's tw only 21% of our lineups have a Giants five stack in it, even in a single entry where you're playing somewhat conservatively. So I'll kind of just start testing this out and seeing how viable it is. The first thing I'm going to actually just try to do is just fade the Giants as a stack and just see what shows up here, right? Um, and you know, immediately all of a sudden you just kind of flip the Coors field game on its head. You get, uh, you play, uh, the Rocky side of that, right. Um, and your ownership drops like a rock. I mean, the fact that all of a sudden, so we do still have Flores here, which we can decide if we actually want to go that route or not, but the Rockies will probably be even lower owned than they're expected to be in a uh, large field GPP and single entry, right? Because the Giants are soaking up so much of that extra ownership here. So we have all of a sudden a lineup that by literally just kind of varying this in one way gets very different, right? And I will then from there kind of continue to prune here and fine tune um, a couple things that, you know, I might like to do. Uh, let's just say for fun, let's just say that we want to actually just X the, um, let's just say we want to see, can we, can we actually get away with just playing no Giants at all? And you know, here's a, here's another option, right? Um, we actually, we, uh, get onto a different Rocky stack with a three stack of the Reds, right? And there's, I mean, this lineup, right? All the, this is lineup 57 Sabre score about 95, right? Still a very good, strong lineup. We still get to play the best two pitchers on the slate. I mean, this, the, the ownership of this lineup will be so low. Uh, it will be well below the ownership sum of 153 here just because of the way that the ownership condenses. So that's basically uh, to sum up here when I'm kind of thinking about this for the smaller field stuff, right? Yet, uh, yes, ownership is further, the owner, the effect of ownership and ownership inefficiencies are further magnified in smaller fields because they condense further. Um, then a, secondarily to that, I think, or not even secondarily, 
partly because of that, I think you can get away with in a smaller field instead of trying to take every stand to basically just find like the most viable opportunity to fade and target that edge specifically. And for me, like just kind of looking at some of the numbers here, I think the best option would be to, to take that with the Giants. I mean, we want to, we could come back over here, first of all, and say like, I actually kind of want to play the Giants. That pricing is ridiculous. And let's just instead take the stand that, um, let's fade Blake Snell, right? Let's take that stand instead, right? And, you know, I think this is viable too. Nola might be 21% in large fields, but because of how much ownership that I think McClanahan and Snell are going to soak up in single entries, I think you might have him at 15% or less here, right? Uh, then you get access to that very chalky giant stack and then a three stack of the Orioles alongside that, that will also be lower here, right? So again, like, I think this is also a viable pathway. Um, this is kind of where you kind of have to make your own decision about how you view the slate. I think another viable pathway uh, would be to instead fade Shane McClanahan, who is the most expensive option here, um, who is also probably likely to be a little bit more owned here. And you then suddenly get kind of, again, a little bit of a different approach here. So a lot of different ways uh, to do this here. Um, yeah, so good first question here. Um, I'll go ahead and uh, a couple other questions here from Nipsey. I do see a lot of questions coming into YouTube chat as well. So welcome, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, I am going to, first things first, hit all of the questions that came in in our Slack channel uh, and through email overnight last night. There's only a handful of them, so it won't take too long. And then we'll hop over to YouTube chat. So just be patient with me here. This was one other question from Nipsey. Uh, any question on how to use the Sims regarding the prop betting markets, such as prize picks and traditional sports books? Yeah, so at the moment, um, we're, we're kind of, I would say from the product standpoint, we're pretty focused on DFS. Um, we had a, a betting plan that we had discontinued just because we didn't really, uh, we wanted to, to put more resources into the DFS product. We did do a prop betting plan for MBA last year, uh, where we had kind of more of a curated picks based, uh, based uh, plan that you could sign up for. And I think our, the plan is to, to, to bring those back in the future. At the moment, there's not really a specific betting product within SaberSim. Now, I think there's uh, a couple, I think there are a couple things that you can use if you would like to experiment with, with that. One that I've just been doing on and off throughout the season have just been, has just been kind of keeping an eye on strikeout props. Um, I will typically check first thing very early in the morning and just kind of see where these these lines are and i would say early in the morning before like the lines have really had a chance to like move i found that most of the time now we don't have like a, a a calculator anymore that you can actually go in and calculate the ev or like go through the the kelly criterion of how much to actually wager here but i found in general um that there's a lot of times plus money out there right like a bet that the sports book is implying has less than a 50 percent chance to, to be the outcome that we actually just like straight like obviously favor right like if you're seeing you know there might be a situation where you're seeing like Aaron Nola uh is plus like is his his strikeout prop is like five and a half and it's like plus 115 on the over or something like that right like that that's that's probably almost obviously a profitable bet according to the simulations here um just based on what the the mean average is in the sims alone right like if it's if he's plus 115 it means that they think he has like what like a 40 or something chance to go over that and his average his mathematical average in the sims is 6.31 right you can kind of follow follow what i'm saying here um the reason i did it with strikeouts one i just think that that's like a 
I think that's kind of a fun market to bet on. It's also pretty easy uh, to go through and scan this pretty quickly, even on a slate where there's 28 teams playing baseball, right? Like you can kind of just pull up the um, the uh, the line somewhere and and check through these. Obviously, if you're somewhere where you have access to multiple books, um, you, you probably want to shop those lines. Um, Odds Jam is a is a decent resource for that, where you can you can quickly see what lines are available. They have a f- paid membership, but I believe seeing what different sports book have as different lines at the moment is just, you just need an account and you can get a free account there. Um, and that's kind of what I've been doing a lot throughout the season is just looking for basically just really bad opening lines on strikeout props. And that's actually been pretty good for me. Um, I haven't played too much on prize picks and other sites like that. I mean, the one thing to be aware of there is like, I think the best markets for those sites are States where you don't have legal sports betting. Um, as far as I can tell, most of the time, like I'm in Colorado, which is kind of like a gold mine for having regulated legal sports books. Uh, but there's almost never been a situation where I've found that there is a better line at prize picks or underdog or any of the pick'em sites than I can get just betting it at one of the books that I have. Um, so two two things there. One, I don't really have enough experience to talk about like strategy for those pick'ems. And two, I would check and see if you could just get better odds betting that at the actual book. Um, and you could do this for anything. It doesn't have to be just strikeouts, right? I just think strikeouts are, are easy just because um, it's a single stat that you can kind of key into. It's very easy to see it all together at once and just go like boom, 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 and down and find the list. And, you know, I probably have, you know, it depends on the size of the slate, how many teams are playing, but there's generally like a few, a handful of profitable bets that I can just find just purely doing that pretty much every day. Um, and that's been, that's actually been pretty lucrative for me. So up until this week, uh, where I've suddenly realized a bunch of my DFS EV at once, uh, I was actually more profitable doing that than DFS up until this point in the season for baseball. Um, that has since changed, but anyway, so, um, and then there was a, a request here to, to have some guests come onto the stream a little bit more often, um, I, that, that we will definitely be doing that for the start of football. We'll have a couple, we'll have at least the models team come on and talk about it. Talk about the Sims for football as we get up uh, to that point in the year here. One other thing that we've been kind of kicking around the idea of doing uh, is some more kind of interviews. uh, If we have, um, you know, for, for people to have big wins, right. I think it'd be fun. Like, you know, people, somebody wins, I don't know, 50 K hundred K or something like that. Um, come on and, and uh, be a part of the stream and talk about their process and things like that. So something on our radar. Um, but um, okay. A couple other questions here. Uh, first of all, um, a question about uh, PGA. Uh, are the projections for golf showdown slates pulled from the Sims? I don't see anything mentioned in the PGA lineup alerts channel. My guess is they're pulled from the week long Sims in some way. Thanks. So kind of a, a, a couple components to this particular question. So there are no sim alerts set up for golf at the moment. There's no sim alert. So in that, you, you won't ever see like a, Hey, uh, round three is now simmed. Um, that's something I think we'll, we'll plan on getting set up in the future. Shouldn't be too hard for us to set that up, but that, that doesn't exist right now. Uh, the round showdowns are simmed on a, like slate by slate basis. So it's not like we sim round one, two, three, and four all at the start of the week. Uh, and just use that. But to my knowledge, it is not in current in tournament performance is not affecting the results of these Sims, right? 
These kind of assume in the same way, they kind of assume that the same player that went into round one of the tournament is the one shooting at round three. Now, personally, I think one of the biggest biases and one of the biggest ownership edges in golf showdown is that the field overrates in tournament performance to the, to the point where ownership just gets wacky because somebody shot a bad round or has had a bad couple rounds. But I do think there is some argument to be made that like somebody playing the course very well, like maybe stands to have a little bit of a better opportunity to continue playing the course very well than somebody that isn't. Um, I think it is a very high value adjustment to make changes to the projections and to the ownership based on the way that the course and the tournament is being played so far, right? I know Rom is not out there having the best uh, tournament of his life right now. That I think is very likely to probably significantly affect ownership and also possibly, I don't know if 10% is reasonable, but I do think it's going to affect ownership and maybe also his actual projection in some way. Um, those are difficult things to quantify. The The value of short-term versus long-term term form and things like that, those are difficult problems to solve. I think in a future update to the golf model, those are things we would like to tackle. But for now, uh, I think that is a very high value adjustment to make. So um, I would encourage you, if you are following along, playing golf showdowns, things like that, to, to do so. So... Um, okay. Question that had come in, in, uh, in our email inbox here. Um, and I apologize. This question actually had come in two days ago and I just missed this one. So I do apologize. Um, uh, good football correlation question here. Does correlation slider factor in secondary game stacks in NFL? Or is that something we should be doing via groups? It does. Um, what I will need to do here. To, to show this is hopefully find a week from last year where the correlation data is showing up. Some of the data from last year um, is a little bit wonky, which is okay because we are about a week away from having data for this year. For those that are excited to start building some lineups, um, we are cautiously optimistic that by next week we'll have some Sims up in the app to start playing around with. So uh, soon. Um, I won't have to use last year anymore for these streams. Um, I'm going to give this one, one shot to see if this works. Let's try one other week here. There's basically just some weeks where these, these detailed histograms and correlations aren't showing up. Um, I'm going to try a random shot in the dark that week 15 might, might be our savior here. And then if I can't get this to pull up, that's okay. I'll answer the question anyway. Um, but let's see. Oh, okay, but no correlation data. Okay, short answer is yes. Uh, so basically, because because we're simulating out these games, right? We have play-by-play -play game sims. We have thousands of them. We have the full range of outcomes of each game, as well as how players relate to each other. We we calculate the correlations between every player in the game. So yes, we will pick up on. I, I assume what you mean by secondary game stacks as like, let's say let's say you're playing this slate and your primary game stack in a given lineup is to stack. Um, I don't know the uh, let's just say Denver, right? So you stack Denver and you have your Cincinnati run back. And then elsewhere in the lineup, you have a uh, Green Bay Packers receiver paired with another Ravens receiver. And then maybe elsewhere in the lineup, you have uh, the Miami running back paired with like the Miami defense, right? These non-quarterback stacks, they are accounted for in the builder, right? Um, and they are weighted accordingly. Now, the one thing you should be aware of is those secondary correlations are much smaller in magnitude, in impact. The, the actual 
calculated correlation of those correlations is smaller. So you won't get as many, right? If you build your lineups with SaberSim, you'll probably get a QB plus at least one in every single lineup you build because that correlation is so strong. You might not always have a wide receiver plus another opposing team wide receiver in every lineup because those correlations are minor and they don't, they're not strong enough to deserve being in every lineup necessarily, right? So uh, you can set further rules to force that, right? You can say, I want a QB plus two wide receivers in every lineup, but I also always want also another wide receiver to be paired with an opposing team wide receiver in every single lineup. And you could do that with a rules. This actually is going to change. We're actually working on a on an overhaul of the rules and stacks to make it much more powerful, much more robust early in the football season. Um, but the short answer to this question is, yes, those correlations are captured because we calculate correlations between every single player playing in the same game. Um, they are weighted accordingly and show up in your lineups essentially at the rate at which we think is optimal. But you can set rules and groups to force those to show up more if you would like. So. Um, good question. Okay. Um, in it to bank it, I answered your question yesterday. I will give you the 10 second re-answer. Uh, min uniques is minimum uniques. It is not exact uniques. So if you set minimum uniques here to one, it means at least one player different between any two lineups. It can be two players different. It can be three players different. It can be four players different. And it applies to every lineup in the pool. Any lineup compared to another lineup in the pool will have that number minimum of unique players. So I covered that in more detail yesterday. So I'd go check out that sh that uh, segment of the stream yesterday if you missed that. And then quickly um, for uh, Steven here um, about... College football, we will not have college football for this season, unfortunately. I know we were kind of targeting, trying to have that ready for this season. Um, I think I teased that a little bit on these streams throughout the summer here. Uh, that is a, a pretty massive data project. Um, that is a pretty big like data collecting and data cleaning project because of how many teams and players there are. Um, so we just, with, with trying to get the MLB model where it was with doing tennis, which is a new model for us this summer, uh, along with just getting ready for normal NFL, it just wasn't something we were able to find the time for this year. So, um, I think, uh, again, cautious optimism that that's something we could do in 2023, but we will not have college football Sims for this year. Um, we will have the slates up in the app. I know there are users that, uh, upload their own custom projections or other sets of projections and use SaberSim to build their lineups. You can continue to do that, but we just won't have our own Sims. So. Um, okay. Hopping over to YouTube chat. Amen. How do you take a stance of play on the player? What is the best practice? Tough question. Um, I think there's a lot of things that come into play here, right? Um, what's the size of the slate? What player are we talking about? What are their ranges of outcomes look like? What is their ownership? Um, what, how many lineups are you playing? Right. There's a lot of things that come into play here, right? Um, I would say trying to be agnostic to all of that, right? In a way that you don't have to go and answer those questions of all that. I would say the best thing that you can do is start with a build on SaberSim that is optimized for the contest that you are asking about, right? Because the viability of fading, for example, Blake Snell on tonight's slate is different if you are playing a 500 person single entry versus if you are playing a 150 max, right? So build your... 
build build your lineups in a way that is optimized. So, okay. So, uh, Eamon said, um, I'm following your profit plan of FanDuel and it's for tonight's slate. So, okay. So, we'll, we'll just kind of frame it there. So, what I would say is use, the way I do this is I would use a midpoint set of sliders, settings that are kind of in between all of the different contests. Typically for FanDuel, I like to use the 150 max, 10 to 50K. That's kind of like an in-between set of sliders that fits, that feel, I feel like that good, builds good lineups for, for everything. Uh, so, okay. So then Eamon also said I have over 300 lineups. Okay, great. This is this is helpful. So what I would do then is I would build 300 lineups. I would make my pool size much bigger. I would make it 1500. And honestly, another thing, this is just a random point. I would at least recommend experimenting with a min salary of zero here tonight because the Giants are so mispriced. They're so underpriced. Um, if you want to play the Giants stack with some other lower owned, cheaper stack, right? Um, you simply, you, you almost have to get under the min salary requirement, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to be turning my min salary down lower. So we'll let this build here. And then let's talk about how you might go about taking a stand. So I would say speaking generally, first of all, if you're playing 300 lineups, you can get so specific and so discreet about your lineups, right? Like 2%, right? 2% exposure to a player is, is six unique lineups, right? That's not an, an immaterial amount of lineups here uh, in your, your portfolio, right? I mean, it's 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 2% of 300, but there's still six unique combinations that you've been managing to build there. So my point I'm making here is that you don't need to be as extreme about your stands as somebody else necessarily needs to be if they're playing three lineups, right? You can, you can take kind of moderate relative stands on players because every time you move a percentage point, um, and I realize now I'm building for DraftKings, but the point will still stand. So I apologize about that. But you can, you know, adjusting a player's exposure in your portfolio by 5% shifts a significant number of lineups, right? You're shifting 15 different lineups in one direction or the other. So um, what I would recommend doing is using a variety of different clues of the data that shows up in this build to help, de help determine how you want to take a stand. Uh, those clues are going to be mostly your ownership, right? The projected ownership of a player, uh, your total pool exposure to a player or stack, and then maybe your own individual personal risk tolerance. So I'll show you how to do that. Um, so, um, okay. So let's take a look here. And what I want is the pool column. So I'm going to drag this pool column over. So let's start taking stands, right? So we have almost 100% Blake Snell in our, our pool here um, of, uh, right, 97% of our um, pool exposure here, right? And you and we say we want to take a stand, right? The, the what For whatever reason it is, right? Uh, the, the Blake Snell blow-up game is coming. Washington's a good hitter's park. Um, I think there's a variety of different reasons to say why you might want to fade a 63% Blake Snell on a 14-game slate, right? So let's say you want to take that stand. So how, how might we want to do that? So I, I typically start to use these numbers as clues of how we might want to do that, right? This number can basically be approximated as the viability of a player, the probability of this player ending up in a winning lineup, right? We can see even, even adjusted for ownership, the Sims like Snell quite a bit. And I think this number can be useful, right? as a tool of uh, what, how much, how how low do I need to get my own ownership to actually be under, right? On a player like this, I might want to at least come in 
63% owned, right? To match the field, but probably less. Now, how much less? Well, if I start shifting, if I start adjusting my exposure far below this number, I'm going to be eliminating significant numbers from my actual viable pool here, right? So maybe in, maybe instead of going crazy here, I guess, for lack of a better word, I might maybe adjust this to something like 40%, right? Knowing that that's going to have a significant impact on the total number of lineups I have with Snell. It gets me under the field, but it doesn't throw out a huge portion of my, my pool, right? Um, on the flip side, let's take another, let's actually take probably what is a better example here, right? In Shane McClanahan, right? 31% of my lineups in my pool have Shane McClanahan in it. The field is going to own him at 46%. Pitching is, it's a pretty pitching rich slate here tonight. There's a lot of different ways to go at pitching. Uh, maybe I want to get onto, maybe I want to get off of, of Shane McClanahan a little bit. What might be a good number? How might I take a stand on Shane McClanahan? Well, maybe I just match the kind of true for optimal rate, even though it's not literally that, right? The two, the, the, this, this number here as my maximum exposure, right? That puts me uh, at under the field here by about 15%. I can even go a little bit further and maybe put this at something like 20%, which puts me both under both of these, right? I don't even, because I'm playing 300 unique lineups, I probably don't even need to go as far as fading him completely, right? So, I I would say what I would do is look at the ownership projections, look at your pool exposure, and consider how m- much room you have to maneuver based on the total number of lineups you're playing. Uh, and that will kind of help frame what a good number to actually end up with on some of these players is. Um, you know, the last note I'll make is that's like the practical side. In terms of determining what a good player to make a stand on is, I think that's a harder question to answer. Um, that's a little bit more strategic. I would say a good, very, very baseline clue of where those opportunities might be is when there's a discrepancy between the ownership projection and the pool exposure, right? Part of the reason why Shane McClanahan pops out as a potential fade target to me is because it looks like the field is going to roster him in 46% of lineups. But Sabersim says only about 31% of good, strong lineups for this type of slate and contest have him in it, right? It might be a good opportunity to get under there. So, um, okay, let's keep it going. Uh, Johnny said, congrats, Jordan. Thank you. Question about regression. Does it stand to reason that daily projections would be regressed towards season-long projections positively or negatively? Uh, is it just, or is it just based on daily info? Um, so that that is a good question um the way it actually the way it actually kind of works is we have we have an understanding of who a given player is that basically goes back to that player's entire career where there is a decay rate that values older information less as that moves along so I, I hope I'm answering the question that you're actually trying to ask here and not just rambling. Let me know if I'm not on the right track here. Um, it is not, we are not necessarily regressing towards a mean, but you know, if somebody's has two weeks of data that is, you know, far outside that mean, that will shift our perspective of who that player actually is at the rate at which we think is appropriate for a two-week set of sample that is very recent, if that makes sense. 
Um, so it's not just based on daily information, right? We 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 don't or not just projecting Blake Snell as he is today. It is Blake Snell, who he has kind of always been, with you know probably what is likely a a somewhat of a boost to his projection, given the fact that he's having a, a good season, right? And especially has been very good recently. So. Let me know if that helps. I don't build the models, if you can tell. Uh, so my ability to speak like technically on this is somewhat limited. Uh, I can maybe point you in the direction of one resource here on our YouTube channel. At the start of all sports seasons, um, I will actually have the guys that do build the models on stream in a, a bit of an interview live stream here to talk about how our sims work. And we did one of those for baseball here already um, this year. Matt and Will came on and talked about the baseball Sims. That's right up here at the top of our YouTube channel. And we will be in the next two weeks having another one of those uh, for football. So I would recommend joining that live stream. Um, if you can make it when it's, when it's scheduled, of course, we're still about three weeks away from football, two week, two or three weeks away from football um, and asking questions that you may have to those guys as well. Um, because that is probably about as far as I can take it in terms of speaking about the way that the, the models actually work there. So. Uh, Kurt says, what do you consider too low a Sabre score? So I wouldn't worry too much about that. Um, typically, the way I like to think about it is the I, I treat my entire pool of lineups as viable. So if for one reason or another, I want to play any lineup in my pool, I will play it and be happy with it. Um, but I do let Sabre score be the tiebreaker for me once I've added all the other value the rest of the way, right? Maybe I built this actual set of lineups and this is the actual set of lineups I'm going to play. And the only stand I really want to take is being under on Shane McClanahan. Then I will let Sabre score determine what the best 300 lineups are to do that while being under on Shane McClanahan. But I typically, I don't think about Sabre score as a, this number is too low for me to tolerate it. Um, the other thing I think you can look at is like, how deep into your pool do you have to get to do what you're trying to do, Right. Like, I think it's a useful data point rather than saying, oh, this is Sabre score 93 saying, okay, I'm not even a third of the way through my entire pool of lineups here. To me, this kind of stand on Shane McClanahan is clearly viable, right? This is, this is clearly an appropriate way to play this slate because we're not even for our pool of five, 300 lineups or for our set of 300 lineups, we're not even into the 500th lineup of our pool of 1500, if that makes sense. So I kind of think about it in more relative terms. Uh, Liam said, ran through the stream yesterday. Couldn't see my question answered. Sorry. Yeah. I, I, sorry about that. Um, I, I think I, yesterday, yesterday, it might've been the day before. I can't remember when your question actually came in. Um, if you have any follow-up there, uh, or any, any confusion, um, I'm happy to, to dive back into that. But, um, Eamon said, love the explanation, but also like to ask, how do you find Massey from Kansas city from last night where his projection is low, but value is high. Um, Projection is low, but value is high. So, I mean, typically for for a sport like baseball, I'm not super concerned about value in terms of point per dollar value uh, because it's based on the average projection of a player. And the averages for baseball are like in particular, they are not very common because baseball is an event-based sport, right? If we look even at a guy like Juan Soto for, your for tonight's slate, He's projected at 9.61. But if we pull up his range of outcomes, we'll see nine, you know, 9.61 is not even necessarily like a very likely outcome. And it's also not the outcome we're shooting for, right? We want these outcomes. So when you look at value plays, this information just isn't very helpful, right? 
if we like look at you know it just so happens because of because crop because the giants are underpriced tonight that they also are good value plays um but like knowing that nick senzel is a good value play at 7.71 average projected points uh at min min salary like that's not a very helpful outcome. If you play Nick Senzel, you're hoping for this. And the most common outcome is this, right? So um, I would say value is just something I don't really worry too much about in baseball. I would say I'm a little bit more concerned about individual player upside. And for me, that is captured naturally in the Sims, right? When we build lineups on Saber Sim, we don't actually use the average projection. We take Sim buckets. We take individual buckets of simulations and set the projections to what they scored in those Sims. So upside shines through automatically, right? When we when we take a sim bucket of 18 simulations per game on the slate and build lineups as we would for this kind of set of sliders, you're not going to be getting players in your lineups because in that 18 sim bucket, they projected well on average. They scored eight points on average per 2,000 salary or something like that, right? It's because you're getting the guys that have home run upside, right? Or 30-point upside or things like that. So... um yeah, so I I, I would say I, w- I don't worry too much about value. Now in a sport like basketball, basketball is not a, a very much an event-based sport. Uh, players are generally pretty normally distributed. Their most common outcomes are around their mean. Scoring happens almost point by point in basketball. So players have to like, part of the reason why, part of the reason why players are normally distributed in basketball is because to get to, to get to 20 points, you have to go through 10, right? And you leave behind players that never make it. This is kind of theoretical now, but like in a, in a sim, if you have to go through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine to get to 10, a lot of players are going to get left at five and a lot of players are going to get left at four. Baseball doesn't really work that way, right? Like Nixon Zell can get to 14 points without having ever gotten to five points, right? So because of that, uh, players are more normally distributed in basketball and mean projections mean more, which means value means more, right? Knowing how well they are likely to do with their average means more. So um, kind of a long-winded answer there, all basically to say, I don't really care about value at the end of the day in baseball, right? So anyway, okay, let's go back to Johnny's question here. As an example of lattice projector for 43 home runs for the year, and goes out and hits three home runs day one. Wouldn't it stand to reason that he would hit less home runs in the coming days? Um, no, it would. It no, it it would not. Um, it's kind of in the same way that, like, if you're flipping coins, right? If you are going to flip ten coins and you flip heads three times in a row, right? That does not actually change the weighting of the outcomes of the coin flip on the fourth throw, right? Now, baseball players are not coins, right? We know, we we truly deeply know that a coin is, at least a fair coin, is always a 50-50 chance. In this exact example, for a player who's, for a player who maybe has not a very long history in baseball, in other words, our perception of who that player is is somewhat fragile, we may start shifting like, oh, this player has a little bit more power because of who that player is, right? Like if you have a new prospect that comes in and hits three home runs in their first week, right? We're not going to completely rewrite the way we think about that player, but that might shift slightly. We might be, oh, this player has a little more power than we thought. And they actually, that might start changing them. That might be 
we might start thinking maybe they have a bigger probability of hitting a home run as that continues to to grow. Um, but like the in terms of the raw probabilities, it it. It is not as if that player is truly likely to perform less well in a micro sample like that, right? I think that's the big thing. The law of large numbers would say that the players will regress towards their mean outcomes as the number of outcomes gets larger, right? That's that's what it says. But on a micro level, in a given game, right, I don't think it's a fair statement to say that Vlad is less likely to hit a home run tonight purely because he hit three in the last few days. And our model doesn't work that way. So um, this question kind of comes up in a few different ways pretty often, like sometimes in the direction of hot streaks, right? Like it works the other way as well. We are not going to assume that Vlad is hot in a way that actually is affecting the way that we predict his outcomes. And similar to this question, we are not, um, we are not going to assume that he is going to regress to his mean that immediately. Right. Um, so anyway, let me know if that makes sense. If that helps, um, happy to talk about this more. Um, and I think this, I think this is also still a question that our, the, the team that actually builds the models can probably articulate more eloquently than I can, I can. Um, but anyway, Don says, is it useful to generate more than 20 lineups to finally apply to a 20 max tournament? Uh, kind of depends on what you mean. Um, so if you build, right, if you come in here and say, I'm playing a 20 max and it's 10 to 50 K and you set the settings to the default values, your number of lineups will be 20 here, but we will build a pool of 50, 500, sorry, 500, right? And that is so that two things, one, so you can edit your exposures after the build is done and fine tune your lineups, but two, so that we have more opportunities to find the best 20 out of that, right? There's kind of two reasons we do that. So if you are asking like I, I would not, I would not build like this. And I actually think I've, I've seen some people, especially people new to SaberSim, that come in here and do this and say, "Oh no, I only need 20. Don't, don't do that. Right? The extra 500 is good, even if you don't edit exposures. Um, but I don't think you need to do anything like this, right? Like I don't think you need to arbitrarily view more lineups than you're playing, unless you would like to. But I don't think this is going to add value. But definitely, definitely. Your pool size, I would say, for almost any build you do on SaberSim should be 500 minimum. Because you might as well. One, it doesn't get much faster to do less, not significantly faster. And two, it it helps. It's good for you. So kind of depends on what you mean here. Yes, it's, it's, it is useful to generate more than 20 lineups insofar as your lineup pool. I don't think you need to generate more than 20 in your lineup set if all you're playing is 20. So good question. Cool. All right. What other questions do we have here today? Uh, I will say um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna wax uh, philosophy about the the uh, slate here real quickly for a bit. But if anybody has any questions, fire away at me here. Um, we have about 15 minutes left, so I'm happy to answer any other questions coming in. I will say, uh, you know, walking through this, building some lineups here so far on this show. Um, let's actually let's actually just build some. Let's do that instead. Instead of me saying what I kind of think I've learned, let's just build some. See what we're looking. Uh, what I'm particularly interested to see is like how viable that Giants fade actually is here tonight. Um, it seems like it's it's doable. It seems like it, it is. And that's kind of what I was expecting. That's kind of what I was hoping. Um, I think pitching is interesting here as well. So yeah, actually, let's do this. I think this would be a fun way uh, to cap off the end of the show, especially given that we've done some 
we've done some builds this, or I've done some walkthroughs on this week uh, of walking through my builds that I actually used on the weeks that I won or on the days that I won. I'm sorry. Um, let's do one for tonight and let's talk about how I maybe would, would tackle some of this, or at least start thinking about the slate. Um, so we'll build a nice big pool of 1500 lineups. We'll assume that we're playing at least 150 here. And, uh, I don't know. I'll kind of talk about what I'm seeing. Let's also real quickly here, check the weather. Cause I haven't looked at this here yet. Oh, so we do have a weather game here tonight, Texas at Minnesota. Um, so we will see, we'll keep an eye out something to be aware of. Um, use an opportunity to answer this question from Nancy Drew guy as well. Can taking a mediocre pitcher going against a strong offense be a viable strategy? Um, so it, it can, I mean, I think you'll, you'll probably be quite a bit of, of like, you'll be very contrarian doing that. Um, Nancy Drew guy said kind of like the Boston and Pittsburgh example last night. Yeah. So on a five game slate where there are just less options to play, right. Um, I like that more. There's your, your ownership fade. You'll see if you, if you look at your ownership fade slider on SaberSim, it will come up as the slate gets smaller, uh, as, as chalk gets more condensed and there's just less options on the slate. I like this more and more on a 14 game slate. Like tonight, you might not need to do that, right? Like, do you need to get to, um, what would be a good example of that here tonight? Right. Um, I don't know. Jordan Lyles maybe is like the similar example also against Boston. Do you need to get there on tonight's slate? I don't know. I prefer personally when I'm, when I am like in general trying to target ways to get different and be contrarian, there's kind of two things I look for. One, I like to look for situations where there is a skilled player that or team that is going overlooked, right? Like almost kind of like a talent rules out Aaron Nola tonight isn't, I'm not going to say I'm necessarily going to be on Aaron Nola, but Aaron Nola is immediately interesting here, interesting here to me tonight, because I think there's going to be a huge ownership discount and he is a talented, good pitcher, right? And I think there's always an opportunity for a talented player in this. This is almost true in any sport to, to win out. So that's, that's a general direction I like to do. I also like to look when there are just bad teams playing each other, or there's just a bad team in the game. If people assume, I guess more particularly if bad teams are playing each other, when people assume that 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 situation has to go one way or the, the other, right? Um, so an example of that would be, you know, I guess Marco Gonzalez. Well, that's not actually a great example. Um, tonight doesn't have a super good example of it, but I, it happens often with value pitchers, right? So like, let's just hypothetically say that like, what? let's say, what if Marco Gonzalez was the chalky pitcher here tonight? Like this happens sometimes where you have like a decent to mediocre pitcher up against a really good offense, right? A lot of times people will assume, or why did I say really good? Uh, not a really good offense, right? Like a bad offense. People will just assume that that pitcher is going to win, even though neither side of that is very good, right? So- I guess kind of to put this another way is one situation that I will look for, like actually, okay, coming around to the point here, a Marco Gonzalez situation, like has some interest here to me tonight because it is, it's kind of like bad versus bad, I guess. And it's ignored. Now, I think part of the reason why it's ignored on this very slate is because you don't need to get down to $6,100 worth of salary savings on tonight's slate because hitting is so cheap, but I like situations like that. Right. Um, 
where you know you have bad versus bad and everybody assumes that that has to go one way or the other. So I think taking like a mediocre pitcher against a good offense is like an extreme fade, right? Like you are you're you're actually probably like double fading the uh you're almost like double fading the chalk there, right? Like you're you're probably not you're obviously not fading the strong offense, which is probably chalky. And then you're also actually taking the pitcher against them. So on small slates or, or contests where you need to get a ton of leverage, I think it can make some sense. I just think you often don't need to go that far. Uh, last note on this too, is that pitchers, because they have like a pitchers, pitchers have a lot of downside, but their range of outcomes is a little bit more normally distributed. Um, so they are generally, you can kind of think of them as safer, right? Like, you know, five fantasy points is in Shane McClanahan's range of outcomes, but most of his 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 outcomes are around the mean, so they're they're kind of safer. I typically would say, and this is a very general trend, that I would prefer to fade chalk on the hitters whose outcomes are often most commonly around zero, right? Brandon Belt looks unfadeable until you look at this range of outcomes. And then it's like, well, it's kind of fadeable, right? So I do typically prefer to take more of my stands on the bats rather than the pitchers um, for that reason. So let me know if that helps. Let's let's talk about this build real quickly here and just, you know, see what we're seeing a little bit. One thing I'm going to do is I'm going to remove this status column for now since we don't need it since this is early in the day. Um, let's start talking about what we're seeing here. So first things first, um, let's start with the hitters, right? Um, first of all, we're under projecting the ownership on the Giants right now. I am sure of it. Uh, this number, I think, is a little bit closer to what is actually uh, optimal, Expose ownership. And I think they might be, I think there are actually probably numbers here that the true ownership might be double this. Uh, so right off the bat, they feel like a fade for me. Um, we can look in the stacks as well. I just kind of saw this here. Um, yes, the giants are the best stack of the night, but they're only showing up in 33% of our lineups in our pool. Anyway, it's, it's, it's looking like there's a fade opportunity here to me. Um, I will probably want to at least be under, I think one thing I'm going to do just to start this out here, uh, is just say, I don't want any more than what we think the optimal rate of exposure is anyway. And there goes my camera. Somehow the battery died again. I have the camera plugged in. I don't understand why the battery keeps dying. I'm sorry. We'll do the rest of this show here, uh, with no camera. Um, I apologize there. That's okay. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll wrap up here with no camera. Um, so first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to cap my exposure to the giants here. I'm capping it, you know, similar to Eamon's question here before, what number am I capping it to as a starting point? I'm just going to cap it to what, what is kind of the optimal number here in the, the pool exposures. Um, one other thing I'll kind of start to look at here is, are there any players that look like they have a high probability of success relative to their ownership projection? Um, obviously San Francisco all pops up quite a bit. Um, St. Louis, uh, LA. So it basically looks like every other team is inefficiently underowned, at least on a quick glance, um, with probably the favorites there being St. Louis, LA, uh, Boston and Colorado and Cincy. So what I'm going to say is I want to just make sure I'm at least getting to those teams. Um, so let's do that as well. So I'm going to bring this back over here. Um, so here's like a good example, right? Like I think just LA seems pretty good to, to me tonight. They're in, they're the third most popular stack here in, in my pool. Um, it looks like they're under owned. They have a high probability of success. I'm not getting a ton of them right off the bat, but I want some of them here. So I'm going to set that equal to 18. Uh, I'm getting to plenty of St. Louis here. I'm getting to plenty Colorado. I want to get to some Boston here as well. It was another team and Cincinnati. It looks like I'm getting to here as well. So, um, 
that all looks pretty good. Um, what I might start doing here is just double checking my stack types. Um, it's a big, big 14 game slate here tonight. So what I actually might do when it comes time to build my final lineups is I might limit the stack types that I actually want by putting a stacking rule in. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm going to just clean this up and just make sure that I'm playing highly correlated lineups. Um, because it's, you know, it's a 14 game slate here tonight. There's a high probability of one team having an outlier outcome and we don't need to get everything right. Uh, so what I'm actually going to do is I don't want to play any more than one uncorrelated player per lineup. So I'm going to play these stacking type constructions, which just make sure that I'm playing mostly very well correlated lineups here. So we've got the stack types dialed in a little bit. Let's double check here and make sure that I'm still getting exposure to the teams that I want to target. Um, yeah, this looks pretty good. This does make St. Louis my most popular stack as well, which I do kind of like here. Um, I may end up coming down on, on San Francisco even a little bit further. Let's take a quick look at pitchers and see if there's anything that we're seeing in the pitching data. Um, most popular pitchers looks like this has come down a little bit here, um, in the most recent update, but Snell and McClanahan seem to be the most popular. Um, Nola, I do think still remains interesting, but it just doesn't look like there's a lot of Nola showing up in the build. So I don't even know if I want to get overweight there. It honestly looks like uh, based on these numbers here at the moment, I'm going to just play as much Snell and McClanahan as Saberson wants to give me, right? Like it looks like they're both about efficiently owned Snell even maybe looks like he could potentially be under owned as at 50%. Um, maybe let's see if there's any other pitchers that have a high probability of showing up in the pool that I think I want to get some exposure to. Um, you know, I think the Marco Gonzalez angle has some merit. Um, I'm going to at least put a little bit of lineups with him in my pool. He's showing up in in these lineups about 10% of the time. He is so cheap against a terrible offense, and I think he enables a very different construction because the Giants are so cheap. By playing Marco Gonzalez, it's likely going to put you on, on lineups that um, – have very expensive stacks and, and make you very different from what the field is going to do. So I think that's an interesting angle here. Um, not a lot of other, other names that pop up um, here in terms of a big inefficiency with the ownership versus the pool. So I think I might leave that there. Uh, given that I don't think there's a huge edge on the pitching side from an ownership inefficiency standpoint, I am actually going to end up taking a bigger stand here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, I'm going to bring this down to 10% and limit my exposure to giant stacks pretty significantly. Um, and let me get some serious exposure to these other teams. Um, I would not talk you out of a full fade with how chalky I think they're going to be here tonight. Uh, I think there's, I think this is one of those slates where there is an argument to like all in or all out on a team like that. Um, but I'm going to stay at 10% here for now and avoid going completely out on the giants. The last thing I'm going to look at is, are there any other discrepancies here between my stack pool exposure and my stack exposure of any of these teams? Um, so I just mostly want to make sure there's not like a team I'm missing that maybe there's like a, a high probability of, of success. Um, I might, one thing I might also do. Eh, no, I feel pretty good about this. Um, let's actually real quick, when we have teams that are so chalky, like wash or like, or we have pitchers that are so chalky, like McClanahan and Snell, I might just be interested to see what's the viability of 
taking the other side of that. Uh, we only have 1% of lineups with Washington stacks, so that doesn't really get me excited here. Uh, neither does the 1% Kansas City stacks in our pool, so I'll probably skip that. Sometimes you will see a situation where we're like, you'll get 90% Blake Snell in your lineups, but when you look at your stack pool exposure, uh, there's actually also like 8% Washington stacks, uh, and you just don't have any in your lineup set. In those situations, a lot of times I like to get exposure to those teams uh, because I think they are going massively uh, overlooked as like a very contrarian stack, um, kind of a la what um, Nancy Drew guy was talking about before. So um, yeah, I'd feel pretty good about this. I kind of like the way that the lineups are laying out here. Um, maybe go back through one more time and just make sure that our stack types and everything look good. But um, this would be kind of a good, this would be a start to, to something that I would probably actually play here in my lineups here tonight. So obviously keeping an eye on weather, but Anyway, we will go ahead. We'll leave things there for today. I appreciate everybody that came, uh, joined into the stream here, uh, watched along, asked questions, participated. Um, big thank you to everybody that watches this stream and listens to the stream as the recording and the podcast version as well. Um, if you don't already have SaberSim, you can uh, sign up for a free seven-day trial on our site, sabersim.com. Um, completely free, no strings attached. So definitely get signed up there. Check out your free trial if you haven't already. Uh, enjoy this slate tonight. I think it's going to be a good one. 14 games, super chalk, uh, giants here on the slate tonight. And I will be right back again for another episode of Office Hours next week on Monday, two o'clock. So until then, take care and see ya.